Well, good morning, everyone. I'd like to welcome you this morning as we turn our attention to the study of the Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 26 this morning, Psalm 26. Now, on first glance, as we come to Psalm 26, it seems to present us with what one commentator describes as a theme that sounds theologically wrong in an occasion that seems unlikely. What does he mean by this statement? Well, if you're there, you'll see the first verse of our text says this. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and have trusted in the Lord without wavering. To pray that the Lord would vindicate you on the basis of your own righteousness sounds like the complete opposite of what the rest of God's Word teaches us. Does not the Word of God teach us that we are indeed sinners without hope of salvation except for in the grace of God alone? Does not the Word of God teach us that we are justified by God's grace and not by our own works? You see, at first glance, this prayer of Psalm 26 sounds much more like the Pharisee's prayer in Luke 18 when the Pharisee thanked God that he was not like other men, but he was righteous in all that he did. And less like the Lord's prayer in which we are instructed to call out to the Lord to forgive us of our sins. So how do we approach Psalm 26? Is it merely an example of this pharisaical hubris, an example of how not to pray, a contrast of what we should be feeling and expressing before the Lord. Well, before we relegate this psalm to such a place, we need to understand it on its own terms. And when we are willing to do this, we will come to see that it is we who have erred in our judgment and not the word of God. The first concept that we must understand to understand this psalm as we enter into it is the word vindicate. This word means to judge to be right, to declare what is right. In the first two verses of the psalm, as we read it, you'll see four words that is used to describe this concept. The psalmist says, vindicate me, prove me, try me and test me. You see, we have all been created with a desire to be vindicated, to be proven right, to be validated. We want the approval of our friends, our families, and our communities. We're constantly looking and evaluating if we are in the right according to the standards of those who are around us. And it can be rather distressing if you feel that you are not accepted by those whom you honor, those who are important to you. And so we will conform our lives to match the behaviors of those around us. Sometimes we label this phenomenon peer pressure. You want to wear the right type of clothing. You want to hold the right opinions. You want to root for the winning team. Not something that I got to do last night for my Bulldogs. And if we all followed this peer pressure, right, we would all be following the crimson tide. Oh, my goodness. The psychological study of voters has even revealed that a major, a major deciding factor in voting patterns is the perceived outcome of the election. 
That is to say, people are more likely to vote for the person they think will win regardless of their political views because they want to be on the winning side of the vote. They want to be shown that their opinion was the right opinion and that it was validated by the world around them. They want to have followed the proper path. They don't want to be some dummy who would vote for the loser. And whether we see it or not, We are all seeking to be judged by those whom we respect. We want our father's affirmation. We want our teachers encouraging words, our coaches call to go in, our bosses affirmation that says good job. And so what we do is we conform our behavior to receive vindication from those whom we honor so that we will not be ashamed by their disapproval. The prayer of Psalm 26 is not about being reconciled to God on the basis of personal righteousness. It's not, hey God, I'm so good, won't you accept me? For we know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Rather, Psalm 26 is a call for all of us to reorient our desire for validation from the judgment of the world to the judgment of God Himself. It is a call to us to allow the judgments of the cultures not to be what drives our behaviors, but rather to know that as we trust in the Lord, as we live for the Lord, as we worship the Lord alone, we will not be ashamed, but we will be accepted as righteous through Christ alone. So hear now the Word of the Lord. Psalm 26. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men and whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground and the great assembly I will bless the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to You and we confess that so often we do look to find our acceptance, our validation from the world. We allow the world to be the judges of what is right and what is wrong in the path that we are to follow. So we pray, O God, in this season that has so many pressures upon us, Lord, that You would speak to us from Your Word and that You would reorient our hearts and our lives to look to You alone. That You 
would be the one who vindicates us. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Now, contrary to our first impression of Psalm 26, this is not a prayer of the self-righteous, but rather a prayer of a man who trusts in God alone for his vindication. Let us look again at verses 3 and 11 of our text. There we read this. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. In verse 11, but as for me, I shall walk in my integrity, redeem me and be gracious to me. Now, if we would turn from the acceptance of the world to the Lord for our vindication, we must begin by trusting in the grace of God to be accepted. Again, verses 1 and 2 call upon the Lord to test or to try the psalmist to show that he is walking in integrity. To walk in integrity means that there is a continuity of life between what we profess to believe and what we do, how we act. To be the same person on Saturday night as you profess to be on Sunday morning is to walk the walk and this talk, not just talk the talk as it were. And the psalmist is saying, reveal, show, approve of the fact that I am truly following after you, O God. And yet we miss the larger point if we fail to see how it is that the psalmist is walking in integrity. First, we see that he walks in integrity because he has looked upon the steadfast love of the Lord, as it says in verse 3. That means that he has placed his faith in the promises of God. The Lord has made covenant promises to his people to save them from their sin, to be their God. Integrity is not the cause of God's saving power. It's the result of God's saving power. And the prayer of Psalm 26 is based upon this steadfast love of the Lord. This dynamic is further explained by the phrase, I walk in your faithfulness. How does he walk in integrity before the Lord? Because he walks in the faithfulness of the Lord. That is, a life of holiness before God is one that is empowered not by your righteousness, but rather by God's faithfulness to empower you, to be with you as you walk this path. Verse 11 explains this reality even further when it roots integrity in God's redemption and grace. To redeem means to buy back and grace is undeserved merit. And the combination of these two terms reveals the prayer of the psalmist to be vindicated, to be judged by God, must be done through God's undeserved grace to redeem a sinner from destruction. To put it another way, the reason that Psalm 26 calls upon the Lord to vindicate him is because God has already graciously forgiven and accepted him. God has promised that he would accept those who come to him in faith. He has redeemed them from the guilt of blood. This redemption was foreshadowed in the sacrifices of the temple. However, they came to complete fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. He was the yes to all of God's covenant promises. He was the redemption price paid to free His people from their guilt of sin. 
And it is through the steadfast love, faithfulness, grace, and redemption of Christ that we must call upon the Lord to vindicate us. You see, we can pray Psalm 26 not because we are perfect, but rather because Christ is perfect. He has given His life for ours. The judgment for our sins fell upon Him as the substitute and His righteousness was given to us. We call upon the Lord to vindicate us because the verdict has already been given in Christ Jesus. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8.1, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's why we call upon the Lord to judge us. That's why we turn to the Lord to vindicate us. Because He is gracious. He is compassionate. He is filled with steadfast love. And He has given us Christ. So that we know when we go to Him for acceptance, when we go to Him for validation and vindication, we know that we will be accepted and loved because of Christ. Why call upon the Lord to judge, prove, test, and try you? Because He has promised and fulfilled His promise to graciously accept you through the redemption won in Christ. You will not receive such a gracious offer from the world though. For our God is kind, but the world is harsh and exacting. If you stray but a millimeter from the norm of accepted behavior or thought, you will be judged and found guilty in the court of public opinion. When I was in middle school, kids would be relentlessly judged if they wore shoes that were not name brand. But that's nothing compared to the pressures to conform when you become an adult. Offices have strict codes on what you can and cannot talk about. Academia will ridicule and destroy the careers of those who challenge the conventional dogma of science or social science. Mothers that have newborn children, they are told how they are to sleep, how they are to eat, how they are to dress. And if they even think about challenging the norms, they will be judged as unfit or uncaring. And need we even mention the political world in which a difference of opinion from the mainstream is always characterized as radical. If you say that you are a Republican and you question one point of the party platform, oh, you must be some communist. You must be a leftist. Or if you're a Democrat, you question a point. You must be alt-right fascist Nazi if you're going to say anything like that. But when you turn from the judgment of the world to the judgment of God, you turn from condemnation to validation. That is, you go from the shame of the world that is heaped upon you if you have any difference of opinion to the love and acceptance of God. Do not trust the world to judge you. Don't look there for vindication. But look to the Lord alone. But I warn you, if you are willing to turn from the vindication of the world to the vindication of the Lord, it will radically change your life. For those who would walk with integrity before the Lord will inevitably find themselves at odds with the broader culture. Look down at verses 4 and 5. You'll see this conflict between the broader culture and those who would seek to follow the Lord. There the psalmist says, 
I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. You see, if you would receive the vindication that your heart desires, you must live for God and not for this world. Now, the psalmist describes those he does not follow. They are men of falsehood, hypocrites, evildoers, and wicked. Later in verses 9 through 10, he describes them as sinners and bloodthirsty. They seek wicked devices and are full of bribes. You see, these are the characteristics of men and women who follow the ways of the world. While those who would follow the Lord in faith walk with integrity, those who are opposed to God's people are filled with all sorts of inconsistencies and underhandedness. It's hard to play with those who are cheating. And it's difficult to continue when you feel like the game is rigged against you. But many times this is the way that it feels for those who would seek to follow after the Lord. For how often have Christians been targets of this world as they've sought to live for the Lord? Of course, we can point to blatant physical persecutions that have happened throughout history and continue this day throughout the world. And yet, many of the struggles that we face are more subtle. Economic pressures to ignore God's ways. Social pressures to call right wrong and wrong right. Academic pressures to deny your convictions to support the prevailing winds of thought. How many of God's people have been shunned economically deprived, socially ostracized, or politically destroyed because of their refusal to sit with men of lies, to make friends with hypocrites, to spout tagline talking points to satisfy the crowds. Now, mind you, I'm not talking about spending time with sinners to love them and share the good news of the gospel. Of course, we need to love our enemy and share Christ with them. No, when the psalmist says that he does not sit with sinners, he is talking about adopting their ways and practices. He is talking about seeking the vindication of a culture that is based upon falsehoods and lies. You see, if you would know the validation of the Lord, then you must not adopt the practices and false dogmas of this world. You must be a willing and spirit-empowered choice to break with what Peter calls the futile ways inherited from our forefathers. The word translated in verse 4 as falsehood means vanity or emptiness. And we must see that the ways of this world are empty. There is no substance to them. Opinions come and go with each passing day. What was accepted by our culture ten years ago is seen as immoral and hateful. And what the most avant-garde of today espouse will be judged as backward and ignorant in just a few years from now. And the only way for you to be vindicated by the world is for you to be willing to hypocritically hold empty opinions that you are willing to change when you are told to do so. But if you would be vindicated by the Lord, you must live by His never-changing Word alone. You must follow His ways with your life. For in the end, though mistreated for a season, it is those who follow the Lord and His ways who will be vindicated, who will be shown to be right, who will not come to shame. 
So turn from the falsehood of this world and live for Christ alone. You see, if you would know the validation of the Lord, you must trust in Him alone. You must live for Him alone. And the final thing that I want you to see in our text is that we must worship Him alone. Verses 6-8, through eight, we read these words. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Now the word that jumps out to me in these verses is the word glory. And the reason it jumps out is because it is such a stark contrast with the vanity of evildoers spoken of in verse 4. For the word glory means something along the lines of weight. The false ways of this world are empty. They're like dust particles that are floating around on all the different breezes that push them through the air. But the Lord has weight and substance. He is true and real and consistent. People have worshipped at the throne of dust and in turn have become dust. But those who would seek to be tested and vindicated must worship at the throne of glory and be transformed into glory. And verses 6-8 through eight that we just read describe the worship of the psalmist. Here we see he is engaged in a ritual cleansing, worship, and proclamation of his faith. And these elements are reflective of what we do each Sunday as we gather together to worship the Lord. Weekly, we confess our sins and receive an assurance of pardon. We sing God's praises of His greatness and His salvation. We hear His Word preached and proclaim our faith. We call out to Him in prayer. We give to His purposes. And there we experience His glory. There are those who might say that, hey, you know, this whole worship thing seems like a waste of time. Worship is not essential to living a true and authentic life. But those who know the Lord, those who live for the Lord, those who seek the validation of the Lord and not the world's, knows that through worship we are transformed into the persons that we were meant to be. It is in worship that we become more genuinely human. For sin has bent the image of God in which we were created. It has made us empty and false and vain. But by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we have been accepted and vindicated so that we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another as we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That means that as we worship, all that is empty and that is false is being transformed into what is good and what is glorious and what is full of integrity. There is a principle in Scripture that teaches that we become like the things that we worship. If we worship the vain idols of cultural acceptance and vindication, then we will become vain. We will become empty. But if we would worship the glory of God in Christ Jesus, we will be conformed to the image of His likeness. There is much that is occurring in worship, but one thing is for sure. 
those who worship the Lord in spirit and in truth are being transformed. We are being transformed from vain to full, from false to true, from hypocrisy to integrity, from dust to glory. You see, to be vindicated is to be judged to have been in the right. It is to be shown or revealed that you were correct. Or in the case of Psalm 26, that you lived with integrity. To follow after Christ is a path that will bring you reproach from the world. You see, the culture will say, you know, as Christians, you're very unscientific. Because you believe in a supernatural creation in which the Lord God brought about all things by the word of his power. That is so unscientific. They will say that we are superstitious and naive because we believe in a virgin birth. We believe in the miracles of Jesus Christ. We believe in his atoning death. We believe in the resurrection from the dead. How unscientific. The world will say, you know, you guys are just a bunch of prudes. Because we believe that the only proper context for sexual intimacy is within the bounds of marriage between one man and one woman. The culture will say, you know, you guys are a bunch of homophobes because you believe that any homosexual act is sinful. Critics will say that we are hateful and evil because we will not accept the delusion of transgenderism and will not play along with pronoun reassignments that they are demanding of all people. We'll be called uncaring Because of our relentless stand against abortion to save the lives of unborn children. They will say we are uncaring because we want to see children's lives saved. The world will say that we are needlessly endangering lives because we insist on holding in-person worship service in accordance with God's word. For holding to the unchanging word of God, we will be called backward and unscientific, evil, And ignorant. And the question that Psalm 26 is demanding that you answer this moment, Christian, is whose vindication do you desire? Whose approval do you need? For you will not be able to win the approval of this world while at the same time with integrity follow after Christ. You cannot do both. You cannot serve the Lord and the world. The prayer of a Christian is not vindicate me, O Facebook. Vindicate me, Twitter. Show that I am in the right. It cannot be, O CNN, reveal that I followed the proper path. Nor Fox News display that I am righteous. It is not vindicate me, university academics. It cannot be vindicate me, electorate. Vindicate me, Congress. Vindicate me, Supreme Court. O things of the world, show that I am in the right. For if you are looking to the court of public opinion to validate you as a Christian, you will be sorely treated and eventually you will have to choose. You will either choose the world and abandon Christ or you will choose Christ alone. For those who follow Christ need only one judge, one revealer of right, and that is the Lord God Almighty. Vindicate us, O God, through Christ Jesus. For Jesus Christ was rejected by this world. He was persecuted by this world. He was condemned to die by the powers of this world. And yet on the third day, He was vindicated. 
by His resurrection from the dead, God displayed that this man was in the right. Though all the world was wrong, this man was right. This man was true. And we who would follow Christ must be willing to walk the same path. For though we will be condemned by the world for our trust in Christ, our lives dedicated to Christ, our worship of Christ, we will be vindicated. That is, we will be judged to be true and full of integrity through Christ alone. And we will be able to echo the words of the Apostle Paul, I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to You at this time and we confess, I confess, Lord, how often I want the world to love me. I want the world to say, hey, you know, those Christians, they're not so bad. And yet... We realize, O oh Lord, that as pressure mounts, Lord, as culture shifts and changes, that we will come into conflict if we seek to follow after You. And so we pray, O oh God, that You would give us integrity of lives, that we would look to You alone for acceptance, for validation, for vindication. For You alone are gracious and kind and loving. And You have given to us the verdict of not guilty because of the sacrifice of Christ. Help us to look to Him alone in all that we do. For His glory and His honor. Amen.